Guardians, Galaxies and GoBots, welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel, the podcast where someone who has never read a Marvel comic book before in their life watches a Marvel movie or TV show or special holiday presentation and then quizzes another person who is a Marvel expert. This person was taught to read with Marvel comics, the yin and the yang, never read before, taught to read with. It's the uh, full spectrum of the Marvel journey. Um, my name's Rob Holden, I'm a comedian, I'm a writer, and I'm the Marvel expert part of the equation. And speaking of the spectrum, I'm joined as ever by <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Will Preston. Happy, happy New Year, Will! I've had two diagnoses in my life to see if I was on the spectrum. They both said no, although recently I... I do think I might need to go for an ADHD diagnosis. <laughs> oh, Feliz Navidad and uh, and all of that. Happy New Year. 2023, baby. We did it. We made it. We're still here. We're still here after the the, the, the long, long... Uh, the last three years have been really long. <laughs> yeah, the last one's been less yeah. long. But I, yeah. I, And you know what? The last one was, I think, our best year ever on Marvel vs. Marvel. It was our... What's the opposite of Annus Horribilist? Um, Annus Tastius. Um, <laughs> Annus Juicius. A juicy, delicious Annus. Um, <laughs> and we had some amazing times. I'm going to let you in a secret here, folks. This ain't going to be like the regular show. merrily on it's ruddy the holiday special for a reason. Uh, this episode is all about <laughs> the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. It's a silly goose of a MCU installment. So you're going to get a silly goose of an episode. We're matching the end. Energy. I'm so happy um, you're using the term silly goose. Uh, I love the term <laughs> silly goose. Coming up on the show today, a festive jaunt into the latest MCU project. Mr. Hollywood's going to take us behind the scenes, raking all the dirt on the making of the holiday special. We'll explore the connection between Mantis and Star-Lord, her history, the secret... The secret history of Cosmo, the goodest dog in the universe, mm. will dive into the murky past of Kevin Bacon and will bring you the history <laughs> of the GoBots. It's going to be a weird one. Don't go anywhere. MVM crashing into 2023. Um, like, I... Because I spent so long working in pubs, Will. I know. New Year was is never like there was a period when New Year was pretty cool when I was a mm. youngster. Like teens, you know, we had the Millennium was a yeah. massive one. I was like the the right age for that to be a thing where I was drinking with buddies and stuff, um, and had some good years. But then fell into the service industry in a pub <laughs> and did like a decade of that. So ten New Years um, was it was was really rough, <laughs> Damn. Um, and it was you know. The, a, a nice landlord would let you have a drink for 15 minutes at midnight and then it was back to it clean up all that broken glass and I throw did, that fella out I did that in uni I used to uh, during my time at Port, the University of Portsmouth I worked on the Raw Be- at the Raw Beach Hotel and one uh, I had to work one the New Year's Raw Eve. Beach Hotel Royal Beach Hotel Royal yeah. Royal okay. not rural nothing rural about Portsmouth no, I heard raw from raw the raw. raw I was like that's bizarre okay just, just sounds like a hotel <clears throat> with loads of greased up muscly guys posing outside uh, anyway uh, yeah they they let us have a drink at midnight and I thought oh this 
totally makes it worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so what's like, have you had a very good New Year? Uh, what? The, uh, yeah. No, yeah. no. In general, what's like your best New Year, New Year's Eve? you can remember oh i've i've had some i've had some good ones i've had some you know house parties uh you know i i've 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 had one in germany with the in-laws that was just us in the nice flat watching the fireworks in the distance it was so nice but the best one was just me in the flat on my own with a (laughs) with a curry a bottle of champagne a bottle of carver and Jurassic World Evolution, the one where you get to build your own Jurassic Park, playing on the big telly in the living room. <laughs> sat on the, I'll tell you, I, you know, I, I missed my wife, but I was having a great time, and I might be doing that. I might have, uh, might be doing that again at some point. I hope. There's a, there really is a lovely thing as you as you creep into middle age, where yeah. the most, co- the best New Years and, and party times, are like the most comfortable ones. Oh, um, they are. They are. I, I, I might. Uh, I might try and do something big before I'm 40 or something where I go, look, just one more big New Year's Eve bash just to see if it's still worth it. I had a really nice one after I'd left the pub trade. I became really good mates with uh, my my last landlord. Uh, I survived several in my tenure. Um, (laughs) You survived uh, several. I survived several. You're like like King Henry VIII's wife or something. Just make it through at the end. Um, But I became good (laughs) friends with the last landlord and Mm. and, uh, I went and had a New Year's in the pub where I used to work. And it was a whole kind of like, I I did this thing because I, I fully believe like New Year's is always a disappointment yeah. because there's no way you can live up to the hype nope. of it's the night of the year um, and so it was like I'm going to go but I'm probably going to dip out at some point I'm probably going to get home before midnight because I don't really need to and I just ended up drinking with this with this 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 chap Ollie who's a lovely fellow and became really good mates and his, his missus and we just had a really great time uh and i pulled a few pints because they were a bit you know under understaffed and everything but it's just a really 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 fun time but ever since then it has been i'll go out early doors and then i'll probably nip home get a takeaway and yeah. uh, and that's that but we are crashing into the year 2023 this month in january not only we bring you the holiday special but uh next week mvm revisited heads back into the archives of this show to take you behind the page on the history of Superman. That Superman episode from last year, one of our very, very, very best, Will, don't you think? It's our longest. <laughs> but I think I, it is, yeah. I, I, I think no other... I mean, I, I agree it's the very best, but no other episode of this damn fine podcast uh, has ever done an entire section based purely... <clears throat> On the score of the film, mm. if, if you get John Williams on board to do a film, you better you better realize he's doing a lot of the hard work. <laughs> he really is. So we take one of the great segments from that great show behind the page on the creation and the changes that Superman goes through over the years. That's going to be out next week on MVM Revisited. Later in this month, um, we're going to MVM Revisited will take you behind the scenes on the making of X Men First Class, another great episode from last year. Um, that's what comes to you in our off weeks when we don't have a main show. Our next big deep dive. I'm not going to tease it in this one. I'm going to tell you flat out. Our next main show episode, our next big deep dive, will feature two of the most popular Marvel characters ever conceived. It's going to be a big one. 
as we explore Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. There is Mm. no character that more encapsulates the 90s than Carnage. We're going to be digging deep into this one, the twisted history, Venom of Carnage, and their connection to Spider-Man. That's the next big deep dive episode here in January. Um, Looking forward to that one. And don't forget, there is the big project for 2023 in case you missed it oh yes i'm talking phase one remastered me and will announced it on the last show um a big project for this year listening back to those first few episodes when we started this thing before we knew what we were doing and we rattled through one a week with virtually no prep time you know we bashed our crashed our way through the first phase of the MCU. Production skills weren't there. Research skills weren't there. We didn't really know how to make a podcast. We were just doing something to pass the time in lockdown. <laughs> now we've got a real show. Easy. Now we've got you know tons and tons and tons of listeners. Um, we put out our very best work every single episode. Um, and we want to do that for the episodes we didn't do it for because mm. we were just mucking about. So this year... We're going to be bringing you, in installments, Phase 1 Remastered. Every movie of the first phase of the MCU, given the full MVM treatment as we do it now. So, we're going to be releasing, in this month, Iron Man Remastered. The first movie, the beginning of the MCU, giving it the full MVM treatment. Behind the page, on the creation of the character, behind the scenes, on the making of the movie. And then a full deep dive into every scene of the movie just like you've come to expect from us here on MVM come with me now gentle folks as we step inside the mind of a uh, an engine new of a muggle a, a man who has gone his whole life without ever reading a marvel comic and thus represents the vast majority of the Marvel fandom, um, and that makes him my opposite number, hmm. my nemesis, if you will, <laughs> as I <laughs> was uh, reading these comics since uh, I was able to uh, chow down on solids. So we're kind of, as we like to say, the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience, and this unique dichotomy lets us hopefully deliver and bring the uh, the full Marvel experience to you guys. Um, now, Will, uh, like we, you are someone who has lived through two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Um, um, I lived then tell the tale. Yep, and I, survived, <laughs> I am survived by two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And did uh, we did two two blockbuster episodes on yeah. on this on these movies? Yeah. How did you feel then when this holiday special was announced? I have to admit, when it was announced, uh, was it the D? D23 or something or the whatever mm. I went well I'm avoiding that that would be awful wow <laughs> I why just, I just looked at it and went no I I, I that, that doesn't that doesn't ring with me that this is so interesting folks because Will says for every single MCU thing announced yeah. he throws his hands up and says well I might not know anything about it but I'm gonna love it I'm here for the full ride I'm here for the full journey you you were excited about the Halloween special I was just, Halloween with special. By now but but this one no this this just felt like let's let's put some sleigh bells and Christmas hats on th- on an existing property kind of thing. How how could you not have faith in James Gunn at this stage and that cast? I I know it's really bad of me, but that was my initial response. Just when I saw the logo, I was like, oh, that's that's going to be a bit weird. I, I haven't I haven't seen I am Groot either, and I've heard that's all right, but I just thought, no, that's for kids. But um, yeah, 
I I didn't I wasn't particularly warming to it, but then I saw the trailer and went, yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> I'm oh, gonna watch so this. The trailer turned you around. But the trailer absolutely flipped me over. Went, yeah, and then then of course loads of friends uh, posted some uh, fr- some mutual friends of ours who turned around and said, yeah, that was actually really good. <laughs> so I was the like, trailer- yeah, I'm sold. I- I thought the trailer the trailer really got me uh I was going to watch it anyway and I didn't I wasn't I didn't wasn't put off by it I think because I just after after the suicide squad and uh, kind of rewatching the first two guardians movies yeah. and peacemaker I'm just fully sold on James Gunn's creative vision and his ability to make fun television and movies I am um, really I really want to see what he does uh when he helms uh, DC for uh, mm. DC film department Warner Bros. I I really hope we get to see uh, a Gunniverse or whatever. So the trailer, I mean, to to pull out the major things that are in it. Um, yeah, I, I think knowing that there's going to be more Mantis and Drax it, from from the trailer, that mm. got me really excited because they they stole the show in Guardians too. Oh, and they really did, yeah. The, the clip of them behind a hedge, leaping really high into the air, <laughs> giggling like maniacs, I was like, this looks... I really, It was really funny in a trailer, and trailers are rarely funny. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. Um, and then, how did you feel about the, uh, the inclusion of Kevin Bacon in that trailer, knowing he's going to make a cameo? I, I thought Kevin Bacon... He's a fine actor. I do like him, even though we 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 know him best nowadays as the EE guy. He appears in a lot of EE adverts. Thought, in the UK, in the UK only, so you, Americans won't know what we're talking about. But yeah, he um, you know, you know that thing in Lost in Translation where you learn <laughs> that Hollywood celebrities do these massive advertising deals in other countries that yeah. you never see back home well Kevin Bacon does that over here um, with the there's a phone network called EE and he's been doing adverts for EE for a decade now yeah uh, for 10 whole years um, and so he's always on our telly selling us phones <laughs> But he does. He's he's not one of the like absolute tip top A list of Hollywood celebrities. No. You know, he's 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 high up, but he's not that high up. But at the same time, it's like he does have quite a good sense of charm about him, and he still looks how he did back in the late eighties or whatever. Yeah, it, I think yeah, yeah. He's a, it's a good it's a good pick. So you were yeah. you were kind of it, yeah. It's not it's not like oh wow. There's a to me, it's the right level of celebrity appearance or yeah. cameo, right? So a massive star would actually feel wrong but Kevin Bacon is the right level to appear in this if that makes that make sense it's the Where right he's not going to overwhelm what we're seeing but not only that it's also a great callback joke well of course there's that yeah previous but, films when but it could be it could you know I, I, but if, the se- if the callback was to a massive celebrity I think that or massive actor that wouldn't if it was De Niro or I don't know who whoever you're going to go with um you know Harrison Ford, it wouldn't work, but I think Kevin Bacon's the right level. It's the right level, obviously, yeah. But part of me was thinking, oh, I really hope they don't milk this joke, this callback joke, too much. And spoiler alert, they didn't. It was just the right amount. <laughs> yeah, I think it is thought. So, you yeah. did you sit down excited then to for, for, to watch it for the for the show? I did also because it was forty minutes. Because I thought that's the oh, right, that, that blissful, right? Yeah, blissful amount of like for a TV special. Especially considering what we, you know, the amount we have to consume and watch yeah. for this 
podcast and of course you're you know and we don't just watch it we take notes we have to take notes yeah, and write down yeah. our thoughts and, and 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 impressions and things like that so watching a two-hour movie actually takes probably longer than three and a half and things of that nature so a uh and a 45 minute wh- how long was was the Halloween special around the same time? I was just about minutes. to ask that as well. I think the Halloween special was uh, between 45 minutes to an hour. I thought it was long. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. around an hour, but I might be it, wrong. It felt more like a film, that one. It felt longer, didn't it? Yeah, it yeah. felt like a film, yeah. Well, we need to segue now from you being a muggle. <laughs> it's time to put on the shades. It's time to uh, shoot your collars, <laughs> and it's time for you to go raking through the muck that you find uh, as Mr. Hollywood. Take us behind the scenes. Mr. Hollywood! Okay, so, it all starts in December 2020. Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige announced the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, a television special featuring the Guardians of the Galaxy to be written and directed by James Gunn. The holiday special was the first piece of content Marvel Studios planned to create for Disney Plus and was originally conceived by Gunn during the production of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That's huge. Yeah, that is huge. This is the first piece of content designed and planned to be created for Disney Plus. So the idea for this predates WandaVision, Mm. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, all of that. But not only that, it wasn't uh, initially planned for Disney Plus. It was planned for being developed for ABC after Volume 2's release. Ah. So maybe Feige reined it in and said, uh, hold on, we got a big we got a big announcement in a couple of years. <laughs> yes, that would have placed yeah. it, because um, of course they had that uh, relationship with ABC, um, Agent Carter and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, The Inhumans, I think, was ABC, or is it Hulu? I'm not sure. Mm. But they had that relationship, didn't they, of making... That was their kind of TV partner. I guess because... Oh, that's right. I think ABC is owned by Disney. I think it's a Bunavist... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think ABC Mm. is Disney. So that's why. That's not an odd relationship. I did not know ABC was owned by Disney. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, I'm fairly certain it is. Amazing, amazing. I only know this because I've read several books on the uh, late-night talk show wars between the networks. Yeah, Um, And so I've got this odd knowledge of (laughs) some weird uh, business of the networks. I've, I've said it before. Uh, and I'll say it again. I always thought we're always thinking like, oh, monopolies in terms of big business and Disney <coughs> taking over things. At one hand, it's like, oh, that's quite scary. But on the other hand, the fact that everything's on Disney Plus is really convenient. Well, I think, but yeah, it, it is right that these kind of monopolies aren't good. Yeah. That being said, purely from the Marvel perspective, as a lifelong Marvel fan who spent decades out in the wilderness with no access to anything cool having your own distribution stream yeah go back go back to our animated x-men episode the struggles it took to get an x-men cartoon on the air went on and on and on like because there's no relationship and will it even work and like so to now have the ability to not have to consider go just go back and uh listen to our episode where we talked about um we talked about 
uh, Jessica Jones, mm. where we see how that was originally going to be an ABC yeah. produced thing, and then they or all the other TV networks get involved and say, "We don't want to do it about the depressed drinker with trauma. <laughs> we want to do it about." The fun best friends. Fun you know, best friend that, of Captain Marvel, that was it, wasn't it? That's Well, Captain Marvel is the fun best friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's what happens when you have these other, other people that don't share your vision getting yeah. involved. And having a, your own distribution stream means you can do um, things that you're kind of more in control of. And I think that's a massive benefit for Marvel. It may be terrible for the television industry and the movie <laughs> industry. I don't know, man. But, yeah. Yeah. So, talking to the Hollywood Reporter, Gunn said, I'll be honest, I wrote the screenplay in a few hours, so it just kind of spilled out of me. It was very easy. Everything about shooting it was easy. Everything about getting the performances out of people was easy, whereas Volume 3 was torture in every way. We should remember that. We should remember that, and uh, I, I might. Uh, I really want to say... I can't wait for Volume 3 after seeing the trailer. I am so ready for it, but yeah. talk about uh, that another time, I think. Someone, someone did say, I read someone somewhere online, somebody said, you know, this holiday special, 45 minutes, it's a really great bit of content marketing. Mm. It's a short story, um, not, but it also is a way of reminding people how much they love these characters that haven't really had that haven't had a movie. I know they appeared in Thor and everything, but they haven't had a movie in a long time. Yeah, we're talking. It will be six years, almost six years between Guardians of the Galaxy films. Yeah, that it doesn't feel like it because we got the other ensemble. We had them films. in Infinity War, yeah. and Endgame, yeah, and then and, Ragnar- and, um, well, Thor, Love and Thunder, Love and Thunder. Yeah, but man, I think they're also building up because Volume Three is going to be very emotionally uh, a lot. <laughs> I don't know why it's. Yeah, I, I think you might be right. I yeah. think with Gun going, it might be a swan song for characters and stuff who knows and i'm all here for it anyway he gun continues the germ of the idea was just doing a holiday special i love the holidays and i love christmas cookies and i love getting together with my family giving presents to each other it's my favorite time of the year when i was a kid i loved the star wars holiday special but i also love rudolph the red-nosed reindeer I still think How the Grinch Stole Christmas is one of the funniest cartoons of all time. So the idea of doing a holiday special with the Guardians was both a really funny idea to me and something I really wanted to do. I once And once I sat uh, down and started trying to figure out what the story was, the Kevin Bacon idea came up very, very quickly and I wrote the whole story within a few hours. Wow. Gunn decided to focus on the Drax and Mantis relationship in the special because he felt those characters had been sidelined in their appearance outside of the Guardians of the Galaxy films between Volume 2 and Volume 3. He described the two of them as kind of like Abba and Costello, but both are Costellos. You might you might need to help me with that one. Is that is that the, is, is, is it's that just opposite? saying there's no there's like no straight man. There's they're no both straight the, man. They're no. both the fools. They're That's, both the the yeah. kind of uh, yeah the big fool character. That's what I thought. The Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special is set between Thor, Love and Thunder. It's Morecambe and Wise, but they're both 
Uh, Morecambe. They're both Morecambe. Yeah, there, you go. there we go. That makes sense. The Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special is set between Thor, Love and Thunder and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Gunn noted there were parts of the special that would help set up material in Volume 3, calling the holiday special a Trojan horse that allowed him to introduce important elements to Volume 3 that he then would not need to explain at the beginning of that film. Some of the material includes filling in the Guardian's recent history, such as how they now operate out of nowhere, have a new ship called the Bowie, Cosmo the Space Dog is now a member of the Guardians, and a couple of bigger pieces of spoilery lore. The special has been described by Gunn as the epilogue of Phase 4 of the MCU. It did feel kind of like the uh, the final dressing, didn't it? The, the the star on top of the tree, perhaps. Yeah, it was it was it was like a nice little nice little post credit scene. If the whole Phase Four was one film, yeah, <laughs> in that kind of respect. The holiday special follows a long line of TV Christmas specials in the US that have been going since the mid 20th century, with 1965's A Charlie Brown Christmas regarded as one of the most famous ones. After the comic strip's debut in 1950, Peanuts had become a phenomenon worldwide by the mid-60s. The special was commissioned and sponsored by the Coca-Cola Company and was written over a period of several weeks and produced on a small budget in six months. Its lack of a laugh track, a staple in US television animation in this period, in addition to its tone, pacing, music and animation, led both producers and the network to predict the project would be a disaster. However, contrary to their collective apprehension, A Charlie Brown Christmas received high ratings and acclaim from the critics. It has been honoured with an Emmy and a Peabody Award and has become an annual presentation in the United States airing on broadcast television during the Christmas season. Its success paved the way for a series of Peanuts television films and specials. Its jazz soundtrack achieved commercial success, selling 5 million copies in the US. It's one of the things that you always, um, as, a, as an outsider from the US, always hear about in you know, pop culture references, but it's not a thing. Charlie Brown's not really a thing in this country. I mean, it was on, it was some, some of it was on when I was a kid, but it's yeah. not... It's not like, I don't know anybody that, that, it's not a cultural touchstone for us. I think in this country, I'm talk, probably talking just from my personal experience, my, my personal experience Charlie Brown is, I think Snoopy is the most popular aspect of Charlie Brown in this country. Yeah, it is, yeah. I yeah. think in Europe-wide, it's, it's kind of like that. Yeah, Snoopy, I think people in this country associate more with Snoopy than Charlie Brown, I don't know. Anyway, it, the special... Uh, also, according to author Charles Solomon, established the half-hour animated special as a television tradition, aspiring the creation of numerous others, including How the Grinch Stole Christmas and Frosty the Snowman. So, that's a big old special there. Now, of course, the Star Wars Holiday Special is regarded as a low point for holiday specials, but served as the main inspiration for the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. While outlining the original Star Wars and planning... Had you ever, before we get to... Have you ever heard of this before we kind of get into the history of the, I the Star Wars Holiday Special? Because it's kind of infamous, isn't it, in the geek it, culture community? It, it, it's a massive punchline. It's a mass- yeah. Recently, Mark Hamill used it as a joke on Twitter. I think he's talking about Trump or something. He goes, this will be awful. It'll be the worst thing on television. And, and, and speaking as someone who did the Star Wars Holiday Special. Yeah. So it's, it's got... It's, it's in the space. It's in the sphere of uh, of geekdom while outlining the original star wars and planning its potential sequels lucas imagined a film just about wookies nothing else 
After the original film's success, it ca its cast made a few appearances on TV variety shows. According to Charles Lippincott, who was head of marketing of the Star Wars Corporation, CBS brought the idea of doing a TV special to him and Lucas, although there was some internal dispute about this claim. Lucasfilm was barely involved in making the special, according to Lucasfilm producer Gary Kurtz. Kurtz said, it did, it did start out to be a lot better with a different script. We had half a dozen meetings with the TV company that was making it. In the end, because of work on promoting Star Wars and working on the next film, we realised we had no time. So we just left it to them and just had the occasional meetings with them, provided them with access to props and the actors, and that was it. You, you can't imagine that happening now, can you? Do, do you like, it, it makes me think of Man-Thing, how that was produced, how so not far away but so remote compared to the rest of the like production company and it was just yeah but this is a this production comp this they, they the people making it weren't even ever involved in the movie you know it's just, <laughs> it was like it's like handing over your original content and uh, and and your your intellectual property and your ideas and your characters to just some guys just some other people it's to like do a variety Colin Trevorrow, show that, it's like Colin Trevorrow doing the Jurassic Park films <laughs> Who's Colin Trevello? He, he or Trevero? I can't remember. How, he's, he's the he's the director for the last three Jurassic Park films, all of which decline oh, right. in quality very, very swiftly. Yeah, but it's to tonally completely different. A variety show mm. and a and a, oh, yeah. and, a, and, a and a fictional movie. I, I just it's a it's a baffling kind of thing, and you know it it, it could have it could have and maybe did really tarnished the. Um, the way an audiences think about these characters, so they go, "Well, I don't think I want a sequel because it's going to be like that holiday special I saw." Yeah, yeah, that was that, that is quite the tarnish. The special was broadcast in its entirety in the United States only once on Friday, November seventeenth, nineteen seventy-eight, the week before Thanksgiving, on the television network CBS from eight p.m. to ten p.m. Eastern Standard Time preempting Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk. The special is notorious for its extremely negative reception and has never been rebroadcast nor officially released on home video. It has become somewhat of a cultural legend due to the underground quality of its existence. It has been viewed and distributed in off-air recordings made from its original telecasts by fans as bootleg copies and it has also been uploaded to content-sharing websites. In contrast, the animated segment that introduced Boba Fett was positive, positively received and in 2021 was released on Disney+. Plus. Have you ever seen it? Nope. I haven't the, seen uh, any of it. I think I saw a screenshot once, or maybe, actually, maybe a five-second <laughs> clip, and I was like, ooh, what's this? I remember in the early days of, like, uh, I'm sorry, the early days, but years ago it was available on, on YouTube and on Daily Motion and stuff. It probably is still on Daily Motion, and I've seen uh, bits of it. But it's uh, it's hard to sit through because it's... Um, is it that bad? Well, yeah, it's like it's an old 70s variety show. They're not that yeah. easy to get into as a modern viewer anyway, yeah. and it's just a very odd combination of tones and efforts and stuff, yeah. It sounds like a night, like a surrealist, dreamy nightmare. Like, did I? Yeah, just... it's really weird. Yeah. Despite the unpopularity of the special, Lucasfilm maintains its status as part of the continuity, placing it halfway between that episodes four and five. That can't be right. Five. That can't be right. Apparently, I, I, I did look this up. Apparently, George Lucas uh, 
was one of those voices. Uh, but I think I think if if it's George Lucas saying that, I think that lends more uh, gravity, more more weight to it because George Lucas had some really bad ideas. But that's uh, stuff for another time. Um, UK's not a place that really has this this kind of, of. I mean, we have our own holiday specials. Yeah. Um, we uh, we tend to have lots of comedy specials at Christmas time on mm. television. Um, I think the closest that we'd have to some of well, I don't know. Uh, we have variety specials. We have the Morecambe and Wise Christmas special. Morecambe and Wise are a, so and the good. two two Ronnies Christmas special. Yeah. Both of those are very very famous comedy duos in 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 England in Britain who had variety shows and mm. their Christmas specials attracted millions and millions of viewers and are so well regarded and well thought of. They are repeated, I think, every year. Uh, now they're repeated. You know, when, maybe it's streaming only or something. But you I, know, I have to say, every time I see a Morkman Wife special, it's genuinely still good. Oh yeah, yeah. They they they're timeless. A, a combination of like funny sketches, guest stars, and funny musical numbers. Mm. And I think also um, there's something to be said for Noel's house party, the Christmas Day episode. Oh, yes, which I loved as a kid. Oh man. Um, we I don't watched... have time to explain who Noel Edmonds and Mr. Blobby <laughs> are right now. But the segments of it, which I loved, is yeah. that it was a Christmas... Generally, in Christmas morning, there was nothing to watch. Yeah. This was a live show on Christmas Day. Um, it made you feel... And you'd watch it in your pyjamas, you know, before presents and everything. It made you feel connected to other people. He'd go live into people's homes as they were opening presents yeah. and stuff, which was fun. And that was just kind of a... I remember that as a kid being quite a real Christmassy thing, and it's never been repeated, I don't think. I watched a clip of Noel Ed- just regular Noel Edmonds' house party, because I remember it was... The Saturday show to watch. Oh, and, and it, massive. The memories came flooding back, and yeah. I was trying to fight off nostalgia just to view it objectively. And I was like, "No, this for, for the nine for the nineties. This was brilliant. This is still Every, good." They brought the Mister Blobby character back in a few kind of ironically funny ways on, mm. like this morning and a Channel Channel Four show. And every time he's back on, I lose it laughing. I find it so funny still. My um, my nephew. I went and watched uh, a uh, Red Nose Day, I think, special yeah. that was keeping up appearances with uh, <laughs> the very clip. fussy Mrs. Bouquet, and oh, then Mister Blobby that. comes in, just just trashes the place, and it is the simplest dumbest level of humor right it's a man just saying the word blobby over and over again and he's just breaking things and i could not control how how, how much laughing was um but we we, we are known that british television mm. the massive thing at christmas is to get a special episode of a sitcom Yes. That's re- and these again are so popular that they get repeated the Christmas special episode every year. Mm. Um, Only Fools and Horses, of course, um, has had a, a, a series of different holiday Christmas specials. The uh, the final episode of The Office is a Christmas episode, Christmas special. Um, Gavin and Stacey had a massive kind of reunion one mm. day the other year. Um, Father Ted has got maybe my favourite <laughs> holiday special of all time. Um, <laughs> when he's the, giving his speech for the Golden Cleric. So good. Oh, so um, good. I remember when I was younger, Channel mm. 4 out on Christmas Eve was showing like a father ted marathon like and i was like this is the best this is i just watched like the whole season of father ted oh, on christmas I, eve i think i did that around uh, last christmas i'm not sure oh i did i did and then we all watched uh 
toast of London in its entirety. Uh, I we have a tradition in my so a very house. very 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 good classic thing, and then toast of London. Interesting dichotomy, but okay. I will ignore that. I'll carry on as what I was about to say. Uh, we we have a tradition in my house. We always watch Chris, we, the Christmas episodes. We watch uh, the Christmas episode of Bottom, which is like yeah. has to be watched because it's so yeah. good. The Christmas episode of Christmas special of Men Behaving Badly, which is which is good. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, people don't talk about Men Behaving Badly. No, because that show has not aged well. It's, it's a lot rough. of it has it's not really aged rough. well. I, I, <laughs> yeah. went, I went through the whole lot the other year, and I have to say, it does get funnier and funnier. And the Christmas special is funny, but it is it is very nineties. And the other special I start the Christmas episode I started getting us to watch was the one of my favourites, the Christmas episode of Peep Show, because it's right. just so good. Uh, it's just cringy brilliance. I think, uh, and I watched it last night because I, I I brought it up for this. I watched the Christmas episode of the Royal Family last oh, night, very nice. which I think is maybe the best the best. It's, just, it's an incredibly wonderful slice of television. And if you have a family that kind of reminds you of that, and some of my uh, grandparents' friends and stuff growing up were, were in that respect, and it, there's just so much fun to be had in that, the minutiae of regular everyday life and regular everyday Christmas, um, the long conversation of the mom asking everyone, did you enjoy that turkey? And everyone saying one by one, don't really like turkey. And then she gets to the end, she goes, oh, okay, I won't do one next year. And then they all go, you can't do a turkey, it's Christmas. Um, <laughs> That's like bottom. We, I hate and, sprouts. We have to have them. Why? Because it's Christmas. Yeah, and then um, the uh, Anthony going to the pot is posh girlfriends uh family for christmas afterwards and saying what do they do around there because um uh, well they 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 uh they don't watch they do play parlor games at christmas oh, like no. um give us a clue and, and things like that and they all piss themselves laughing and saying what's the matter have they got a telly to look at <laughs> <laughs> yes. and then jim legitimately says parlor games they want to get out more watch some telly <laughs> So I barely good. watched the royal family. I think I need to go. Mate, it's and... one of the greatest British sitcoms of all time. It's incredible. I'm writing it down um, on my big list of shows to watch now. And then there are in this country, we do have animated Christmas specials, mm. and we tend to have, I think, really just the same two. That well, they're certainly from my childhood, <laughs> but they're so popular again they come up every year. Yeah. Um, and they are adaptions um, of Raymond Briggs. Um, children's mm. picture books i guess you'd call them almost like yeah. a comic really yeah. um the snowman which is a silent animated movie um with a very famous uh, choir song in it we're walking in the air it's about a young boy who uh, has a magical snowman that comes to life and he goes on a magical little adventure and then um, that's watched every year my you know my, my parents love that and stuff um and my personal favourite, which is also Raymond Briggs, mm. uh, which is the Father Christmas. To me, that is the definitive British Father Christmas, played by Mel Smith. Um, it's got the greatest Christmas song ever in it, about grumpy Father Christmas. Father Christmas lives in uh, Semi-Detached. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember. And uh, he's got a cat and a dog, and he goes on holiday, and he's dead mm. grumpy. And, of course, it's Mel Smith, who is... So it was his birthday, I think yesterday would have been uh, a dearly departed and one of the most crit. I mean, the most one of the most important figures in British comedy that's very underappreciated. Um, he founded uh, Talkback uh, Productions, which mm. is the TV company that gives us 
everything day to day brass eye alan partridge uh big train uh anyway so yeah have i missed anything out on christmas specials do you think i think the british christmas specials no no i was gonna add that my favorite raymond briggs uh uh comic and adaptation is not christmasy at all oh it's yeah yeah it doesn't mean to be here there um but yeah it's mainly it's mainly sitcom specials in this in this country and i think what tends to happen is i think the golden age of the british sitcom is over oh yeah um, absolutely and so and, and our variety shows are dead so what we tend to have is an awful lot of repeats mm. um and there'll be some sort of game show and the channel four does the like the panel there are christmas editions of panel shows which are big yeah. in this country so we get the big fat quiz of the year with jimmy carr and a bunch of com- comedians and stuff every year and stuff like that but um yeah we don't have christmas specials in quite the same way they do in america well, Father Christmas, a.k.a. Santa Claus, as some Americans know him, he's not the only fella stumbling around with a giant sack. Oh, Mr. Hey. Will Preston with the MVM mailbag. Um, I also what have you a got, lovely beard. What have you got for us? Oh, ho, ho. Uh, first, I'm Mr. Hollywood. Now I'm budget Santa Claus. First of all, Eric Cotton graced us with his presence. Evil Eric. Evil Eric here once again. This movie has melted my dark heart. I absolutely loved this. I managed what, to... It's talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, is he? Of course, the sorry. Holiday sh- special, okay. I should have said that. I absolutely loved this. I managed to gather the whole family to sit and watch this, and we all absolutely loved it. My seven-year-old son jumped off the couch several times to dance or fight along. The old 97s performed uh, Sean Gunn's sort of Christmas song with aplomb. It will now and forever be in our annual Christmas playlist. It looked great. It was funny, heartwarming. I'm surprised they were able to milk more pathos from Yondu and managed to add just a little bit to the overall MCU canon. It accomplished more in 45 minutes than several of the movies and series. Chef's kiss. I think thanks, Evil Eric. I think that's a really good point. It really did it for, for it, mm. you know, um, for how long it was with us. It really achieved. It overachieved. It, yeah. it gave us an awful lot, didn't it? Can't argue with that. Can't uh, laugh, pathos, and some uh, MCU lore and yeah. some some cool fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely, it absolutely delivered in my opinion. But we'll go on about that when we dive into it. Jacob Tharp wrote in to say, "It's been a while since I've been ri- since I've written." I'm happy you are going back and giving the old episode some love. The Speedball episode had me cracking up. Penance was a playable character in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, and he was terrible. Anyway, um, uh, uh, Jake, is it Jake or Jacob? Jacob, he, Jacob, uh, Jacob is making reference to our November episode of Obscure Marvel, where we look at a very strange character called Speedball. How did you find Speedball, Will? The bouncy boy of the Marvel Universe. I mean, it started it started odd. Then it got into penance, and it just got even odder. I mean, that was that that. I think that one got a unique score from me, if I remember <laughs> right. I won't spoil anything, but obscure Marvel is a spin-off show we do on Patreon, where every month uh, I expose Will to the most ridiculous and obscure characters and stories of the Marvel Universe. Um, okay, carry on with uh, with the lair. <laughs> anyway, keep up the amazing work. Forever listener, Jacob Tharp. P.S. I hope a bonus episode for the Amalgam universe might happen. I know Will's head will explode at this. Thank you, Jacob. Yes, I am planning one, and I'm wondering whether 
the the anniversary month might be an appropriate time to do it because it's so big and awesome. Mm. Um, the Amalgam Universe will. Yeah. Um, there was an event in the 90s where DC and Marvel teamed up to have DC versus Marvel. Mm. Um, a, a very oh, crap yes. crossover. Yes. But at the end of this crossover, mm. the Marvel and DC universes merged. And we got a brand new universe with a brand new continuity featuring mm. merged characters called the Amalgam Universe. I think I remember. We've mentioned it before. It Wolverine it and Batman merged to become a new character called Dark Claw. Um, Green Lantern and Iron Man merged to become the Iron Lantern. Um, and, and it's presented to you with a full in-universe continuity. So the letters pages are fake. And they make reference to things that never <laughs> happened in this merged universe. All oh, the little continuity good. boxes, yeah. like um, the character will reference, oh, I can't believe you know my armor's damaged after that last battle. And there'll be a continuity box that goes, see Iron Lantern versus Death Spire, where the thing exploded and did. It's all oh. in kind of in-universe stuff. It was a dream as a kid. That, um, I, I I absolutely adore meta stuff like that. I, it's I think so it's very cool. clever. That's good. So I I think I, I I think maybe the anniversary, but I'm I'm trying to remember if I've got other plans. It's hard. I think we're definitely going to do it this year. Mm. Um. Uh. So Jacob, yeah, that's that's is definitely coming your way on Patreon in 2023. Don't go anywhere. Cool. Melissa Lauren wrote in with an idea. I'm still somewhere back in June of uh, 2000, sorry, 2021 MVM time, but I had just had what I think is a great idea. Rob, I can't remember which episode it was you were talking about wanting action figures, yet having no idea what you'd do with them, but I thought of a not-too-weird and kind of grown-up use of them, and a great excuse to Uh-oh. just buy some. If you put up a tree this season, even just a little fake one, you can put them on the tree and call them ornaments. If you ever do, please take pictures and post them. That's not a bad idea, is it, Melissa? I'll tell you one thing. Is Uh, it Melissa? Is that her name, sorry? It is Melissa, and I've got to apologise. My mum already did this. Oh, really? Okay, uh, years and years ago, I bought loads of Resident Evil action figures for cheap uh, for someone I used to work with, and then... uh, I think I moved out, and then Mum sort of... I sort of left them there, and Mum was like, oh, I'll just put them on the tree. So I've got, like... Uh, I think it's Kenneth from Resident Evil 1, where he's been pecked to death by crows. I've got a, uh, a, a William Birkin in one of his final forms from Resident Evil 2, where he's got claws and eyes everywhere. And then she also added a Velociraptor from Jurassic Park. And at the top, as always, uh, they always do this, is a action figure... Of none other than Captain James T. Kirk. <laughs> Who's your favourite action adventure character? Kenneth. 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 That's my favourite action adventure Forrest, character. Kenneth. It's either Forrest or Kenneth from Star's Bravo team. The first uh, one to enter the enter the Spencer Mansion. The thank you for that suggestion, Melissa. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I do. I, I. I. I do want all the toys I could never have as a child. Yeah. But I. It's not only that. Melissa, where am I going to keep them? Where where am I going to store them? Uh, it's just a whole like I'd need another house to put all the things I want in, and then the house I actually live in where I can move around. Um, mm. Anybody else in the mailbag? We just got one more. Last of all, Sam Avery got in contact. 
Sam Avery, uh, f- tremendous stand-up comedian. Uh, go check out the Learner Parent, um, which is um, Sam Avery's kind of website and blog about being a young dad. Um, it's got like two hundred thousand followers and stuff. He's uh, doing big things. He's doing a nationwide tour as well at the moment. Check out Sam Avery uh, coming to a theatre near you with a show called Role Model. Oh, I'll be- that's just finishing. Actually, you might have another one. I'll be checking out more shows as well. Uh, now I have more free time. I just want to see a bit more and I'll stop performing. Anyway, Sam Avery got on contact to say, Dear Robin, Will, your podcast consistently make my day and somehow manages to add even more enjoyment to my regular viewings of the MCU. One thing I didn't expect was to suddenly want to start picking up comic books for the first time as a 44-year-old. There we go. That's right. That's what we do. Marvel can't sue us because we give back to Marvel. (laughs) Yes, we take a lot of their content for our content, but we also sometimes send them one customer. So we're we're clean. We're good. The deal works. They should be giving us money. They should. (laughs) But your in-depth coverage and backstories really piqued my interest. So ahead... Of a recent holiday, I finally decided to dip my toe in the water. Based on your advice, I visited my local independent comic book shop, Worlds Apart in Liverpool, and picked up a copy of The Infinity Gauntlet. This is my fave movie in the MCU so far, and it was incredible to notice the differences and similarities in storylines between the comic and the movie. But my biggest takeaway was just how many important Marvel characters that play huge roles in that storyline we are yet to meet on the silver screen. Mm-hmm. I totally understand why they've held these characters back, and holy moly, I can't wait to meet them and make their big. Uh, I can't wait to see them make their big entrances in the MCU. Thanks for all the content, your loyal and loving Patreon member Sam. Thank you, Sam. Um, yeah, I mean, if you were reading Infinity Gauntlet, Adam Warlock is making his first appearance in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So that's going to be very interesting for you. Um, and of course, this is the year. This is the year, folks, that me and Will on this MVM podcast make it to Infinity War. Um, which yeah. feels like a massive moment for us. You know, it's going to be three years in the making, really. Um yeah, it's, uh, Sam's chatted to me uh, privately about uh, like he what he would during lockdown when he found our podcast he would watch the MCU movie and mm. then he would go and listen to our podcast all about it. Um, and sometimes he's, he used it as a way <laughs> as a as white noise to fall asleep to. Um, <laughs> and then he said sometimes just hearing the theme song and the way you introduce uh, an episode makes me a little bit nostalgic for lockdown one as he called it um, <laughs> oh, God. when he went through a lot of them. Um, yeah. Shout out Sam Avery and um, well done for going to a bricks and mortar comic book shop, an independent comic shop and not relying on Amazon um, to get your comic books because Amazon don't seem to pay a fair whack to the uh, comic book uh, creators in the industry. They perpetrate the myth that comic books are cheap and all this kind of bad stuff. Um, uh, So if you are going to get involved in comic books, do a quick web search. Find out where there's a comic book near you. Find out where there's a cool online comic book shop that will deliver to your door. Or there's always, um, for the budget budget conscious, those of you amongst you, there's uh, Marvel Unlimited, the app, where you can read them on a tablet. And my granddad would turn in his grave. But there we go. Uh, that's how it works these days, isn't it? Um, like, but that's one way to do the right thing. But there is another way of doing the right thing, isn't there, Will? Oh, there's, there's, there is another way. Because 
I mean, what have you had in, in the month of December from me and Will? We talked a little Christmas present in your stocking in the last mm-hmm. episode as we brought you one of our Patreon episodes from Behind a Paywall. We brought you World War Hulk Maybe the best episode we did all 2022. Um, we gave that away to you guys for free. We brought you Jessica Jones. We brought you Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the Avengers cartoon that might be better than the MCU. We brought you Thor Ragnarok. Um, coming up, we've got Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. This year, we're bringing you Phase 1 Remastered, the proper deep dives, the real good shizzle. And what are you giving us? Where's my present? Where's my gift? Because I'm looking in my stocking, listener, and you've put nothing in my stocking. Not a, not even a tangerine. I got no cards. I got no boots or Woolworths voucher. You've given nothing to me. Well, have you got anything from them? Oh, no, yeah. that's not right. A sausage. Nothing. Not, not a even sausage. a sausage. And Will Preston loves a sausage. <laughs> you've given us nothing back, and frankly, you know... It, it, it's it's causing an issue between us. It's the season of giving. It's the season of appreciating what you have and appreciating what others do for you. Don't you ever forget what me and Will do for you. Don't you ever forget what we bring you. Hours and hours of entertainment each and every month. You owe us it can be thanks, but we'd rather it was cash. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvels, where you can give back, where you can contribute to this community. Put a tangerine in my stocking. That's what I need. You can support us for as little as three Brexit pounds a month. The equivalent of buying me and Will a coffee that we have to share. Half a coffee each. Um, <laughs> that's how you can just begin to support and begin to keep the lights on around here. The, the low, low price of £3. There's other tiers as well that'll get you early access and all sorts of other stuff as well. Bonus content. Because we 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 appreciate the supporters on Patreon mm. way more than you regular people coasting by just not giving anything back to us, just enjoying our labour for free. It's a socialist Marxist podcast. I don't know if we've ever mentioned that before, but yeah, we're all we're all communists over here now. Mm-hmm. You've got to uh, give something back to us. Oh, no, 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 it's not. It's capitalism. Sorry. No, it's full-on capitalism. Although we have a weird model where we give it away and then ask you for the money. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the national anthem for capitalism? Uh, it's the Coca-Cola one, I think. Um, oh, so, it's Coca-Cola. <laughs> that's it. That's definitely na, it. Na, 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 um, na, na. Always Marvel versus Marvel. So, <laughs> so what we what we love about the people on Patreon is that they're part of our community. They're contributing to us. They're yeah. saying, "Yeah, I owe them this." The lads, the boys at MVM give me so much i need to give a little something back and that allows us to make so many episodes to do so much research to dig through histories to put so many episodes out there Mm. um and in exchange because we love them so much we we spoil them with uh, an abundance of riches every single month Uh, multiple multiple bonus content episodes out there obscure marvel as we talked about goes out each and every month to everybody whatever you submit and pledge and, and 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 pay us you get Bonus episodes of Obscure Marvel every month, Speedball being the month of November, um, and uh, we have fun with that every single time mm-hmm. we do it. It's uh, it's just a, a real fun show. Um, if you go up in the tiers, you can get early access to every single episode three days before the rest of the world. Then there's the proper tiers. They start at £10. 
And that gets you access to our full-length bonus episodes. In December that we've just put to bed, me and Will went and dived into the Thanos Imperative. Oh, Lord, wasn't that good. The 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 final Guardians of the Galaxy story, really. Mm. Um, the Guardians having to team up with Thanos to take on a threat even bigger than Thanos. Mm. And I've taken a look at the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 trailer... And yes. I'm seeing a lot of similarities with that story we covered. Yeah, how, how are you feeling about how do you feel about the Thanos imperative? Uh, I, I, well, the Thanos imperative was fantastic. I thought you could talk about what, how do you feel of the Guardians Galaxy Three trailer, and I was about to say that song by Space Hog will be associated with sadness after the film, I reckon. But the Thanos imperative, wow, wow. Uh, I don't want to say all our bonus episodes are good, even though they really are. But that one is clearly top tier. It was. It's a lot. It's a, I mean, it's an awful lot going on. Um, so Adam much. Warlock, um, Nova, Quasar, the Guardians, Thanos, Drax in one of his most prominent roles. Mm. Um, it's a big one. And in this month, the month of January, since we are dealing with Venom to let there be carnage, it's the perfect time for us to look at one of the most requested stories for us to look at which is Maximum Carnage. The mm. biggest Spider-Man story told at the time it came out. Um, a story where Carnage and his mob of super-powered freaks go on a killing spree across New York. They are unstoppable, unst- un- unmatchable, inciting riots as they go. It's a massive crossover event that sees Spidey teaming up with forced to team up with venom and then teaming up with a host of other 90s marvel characters and it questions for the first time really spider-man's moral compass what is he gonna have to do in the era of the grim and gritty hero in the era of the extreme in superhero comics the 90s what Mm. is he gonna have to do to stop his most extreme enemy of all time carnage it is a big fat episode um it's kind of on the precipice of the collapse and the bankruptcy of the marvel universe uh, sorry of, of the marvel comics it's um a massive story within the marvel universe that's mm. what we're bringing you in january i'm excited about that will's very excited about very. that one as well um especially after we dive through venom 2 um and you guys get access to that as well as robert versus will our brand new comedy podcast where me and rob me and will uh losing my names here me and will um it's <laughs> nothing to do with marvel uh we we just uh we <laughs> We have an awful lot of fun um, on that one. We share embarrassing stories. We share funny stories. Um, we go deep into our personal lives and history, and we share it all. So, you know, if you're at that good, good tier, you're getting three bonus episodes every single month. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And let's shout out the guys that go above the top subscribers and become the world-class wrecking crew, all elite. I'm talking Peter J, Mikey W, Brandon Schmigilski, Randall Schmidt, Zach Thomas, Bastabeer, Sam, Bindi, and Sue P. These subscribers, they see what that top level of subscribing is that gives them all the bonus content. And then they go, the tier above, double that pledge, mm. double it. Um, so that they can give the most money possible to keep this show going, keep the show on the air. In exchange, we give them exclusive video content that nobody else nobody else gets to see our faces, Will. 
Only Nobody. the world-class wrecking crew. No one gets to see the wizard. <laughs> we, uh, we, we give them uh, video podcasts, um, reactions to the latest Marvel and superhero movies, TV shows. Mm. They get everything we've got to give them. And we, we love those guys. Peter J., Mikey W., Brandon Schmigielski, Randall Schmidt, Zach Thomas, Bastabier, Sam, Bindi, Sue P., um, the people that keep the lights on, keep the rot from growing the black the black mold keeps that at bay um and if you're not supporting us if you're not in a position to financially contribute you can still help the podcast grow make sure you subscribe make sure you're liking every episode make sure that you follow us on twitter at marvel versus make sure that you share our content leave awesome reviews all these things can help the show grow um, and get more prosperous and help keep me and will around for as long as you guys want to hear us do it um i think that wraps everything up on the other side of this little break we're gonna hit play let's press play so before we get into the story we get a brand new marvel studios montage logo featuring she hulk and footage of the new black panther in the new black panther suit that's pretty cool yeah I like I like I like how that montage sequence uh, evolves over time, and as we add new characters to the Marvel universe, we get them in there. Yeah, absolutely. But let's start with the story. Craglin tells the story of how Yondu ruined Christmas to the Guardians. On board Yondu's ship, a very young Peter Quill makes a Christmas tree with Craglin before explaining Christmas to Yondu. But Yondu hates the idea of Christmas and orders his two subordinates to stop this at once after kicking down their Christmas tree. Back in the present on board the st- uh, space station Nowhere, Craglin tells the rest of the group that the Earth calendar is close to the winter holidays. We also learn that the Guardians no- now own Nowhere, having bought it from the Collector. The station is a mess and the team lament how much hard work it's going to take to knock Nowhere back into shape. On the ground floor, Rocket is directing the telekinetic dog Cosmo as Cosmo uses their powers to do repairs around the station. So, uh, fairy tale of New York, played to death in my youth, and to be honest, I'll be happy if I never have to hear it again. I think there's other be- far better Pogue song out there, but what a perfect song to open the special with. Um, I'm a big fan of the Pogues, and this... M- I think this is this is the best in my mind. It's the greatest Christmas song, mm. and it's one of my favourite songs ever written. Um, and I know it gets, I know it is overplayed. You don't have to tell yeah. me. I like. I worked in an Irish pub for <laughs> seven or eight, nine Christmases. I've heard it a lot, but for some reason, I always light up when I hear it. Always, even after that that decade of that happening. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I have a thing about songs being overplayed that really drain it for me I'm, I'm one of those people that just does not like bohemian rhapsody anymore it's... but I, I, i'm i'm trying to speak to that and say that yeah. i agree with that with most things but there are some songs like mm. come as you are by nirvana um is one that is hugely overplayed but yeah. because it's such an incredible piece of music mm. and because when i was first listening to it and exposed to it it was such an important and formative yeah. time for me and became so special to me. Same with the Pogues when I mm. first was hearing Fairy Tale of New York. Like, I think those things combine to create something that is, for whatever reason, kind of like unruinable. Um, and I on, honestly, it's so, and nothing, very, very, very few, I mean, only the Pogue songs really affect me the way Fairy Tale of New York does. Yeah. But even then, there is something. Um, 
and again, I know it's overplayed, but I don't really get. There's something in it that is just beautifully mournful and yeah. and kind of uh, you know wonderfully poetic and 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 false and fake as well <clears throat> yeah, yeah. because it is a fairy tale. Yeah. Um, and it's just there's just something hauntingly special about it and uh, yeah and i think yeah it was a as you said a perfect way to kind of um start oh, things perfect way you're absolutely right couldn't agree more of how good that song is but i'm still yeah i i want to hear other, uh, more other songs <laughs> but speaking of other songs the old 97s the band playing at the beginning <laughs> love the fact they're playing an incorrect song about how santa was great and it's, it's one of those things that starts off a little bit cheesy and thinking oh this is a you know typical newish christmas song you know where they're trying to make it sound a bit rocky but obviously christmasy but it was very entertaining especially when it they're reminded going, me of um the just the night before christmas song about oh, from, made by the characters that don't understand christmas yeah so they keep getting all the things wrong about him yeah um it's very very similar to that it felt like it's like um it's like the music form of or like you know when they do like i fed a, a hundred hours of scripts into an artificial intelligence and this is what came back <laughs> you know that memes I keep doing and it's like yeah I guess so yeah what? it's like that that's that's how a Christmas song would come back like that they're, they're not totally getting it but they're getting the main oh, key oh right yeah. right 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 I thought it was interesting to start mm. this with um, you know by, by starting it with an animation they're, they're kind of calling back aren't they to the classic American holiday specials we learned about they are. This, this is definitely a staple of the American holiday, uh, holiday special. You, you do have a band playing a new song, usually, don't you? A Christmas song. No, I meant the animated thing. Oh, the animated thing. Sorry, sorry. It's I, a call, a call back to yeah. like the Grinch yeah. stole Christmas yeah, and yeah, yeah. the Frosty the Snowman yeah. and, and yeah. those kind of animated ones. The Rudolph. Yeah. He had a loving, almost Ralph Bashke esque quality to it, Ooh. like it was rotoscoped almost. But That's it had interesting, also, yeah. Yeah, it also had that whole simplicity to it like it was quite quaint so yeah yeah it, and made on the cheap yeah made on the cheap that looked good also uh cosmo we get a telekinetic talking dog in an astronaut's astro, uh, astronaut suit uh voiced by is it maria bakalova sure yeah Could she, be. I, I don't she know. was yeah I, mr. I hollywood. <laughs> it, mr hollywood here mr hollywood announces cameo uh no it's it's Amira bakalova who was in the second borat film not a fan of the second film, but she was good in it. Oh, right. Yeah, so she, she's the one voicing the dog. And obviously, <laughs> a talking dog in an asteroid suit sounds like something James Gunn would come up with. But just to confirm, this was a character in the comics, wasn't it? Yes, uh, yeah. as you have, have uh, heard in, in the Thanos Imperative, where yeah. he plays a major role. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Cosmo is created by Dan Abner and Andy Lanning, who are the architects the fathers the creators of this modern version of the guardians mm. of the galaxy that uh, that's the version that is adapted to the mcu um but in 2007 before they started the guardians of the galaxy um abner and lanning were writing another marvel space series called nova um uh, the nova force crops up in the first guardians movie in the comic books it's more kind of super powered kind of like imagine marvel's version of the green lanterns super powered uh, individuals with really cool helmets um, in Nova they introduced uh, the space station Nowhere uh, K-N-O-W-H-E-R-E um, which is a, a space station slash city inside the huge head of a dead celestial being yes, I remember. Um, and as the, the, the head kind of 
eroded and decayed over millennia. Uh, the city is built inside it, becomes known as nowhere, and kind of becomes uh, a Babylon Five esque deal. Um, it mm. becomes like this this station for various races, um, and scientists to study the edge of the universe because that's where it is. Mm. It's right at the very edge of the universe, um, and there's a council on board made up of representatives of various different races who um who kind of lay claim to nowhere and oversee it and the station's head of security is cosmo um cosmo is a former test animal for the the soviet space program um and is a male dog in the comic books i don't know if the dog in the movie is male that has a female um, voice chip in the suit or something, mm. or what's going on where it's a female dog. Um, but in the in the comic books, um, Cosmo is a he. Not that it really matters as a dog. Um, but so <laughs> Cosmo is, as they used to do back in the space programs, especially mm. the, the Russians, they would launch dogs and monkeys into space to see what happened to them before they put men um, in those positions. Uh, Cosmos launched into Earth's orbit um, in the 60s and then drifts out of orbit and drifts off across space into the unknown. Um, and as it, it, it drifts and drifts, it somehow eventually ends up at the edge of the universe uh, and arrives on nowhere. And at some point during this spatial drift, cosmic rays have mutated Cosmo extending his life um and giving him psionic powers um cosmo has telepathy so doesn't speak out loud um but Mm. speaks in everyone's head with telepathy um has telekinesis um as we see in the mcu here moving things with the mind and they're they're quite quite powerful in terms of the telepathy um we we've seen over the years that cosmo um, can make people telepathically invisible and essentially cloak them from being mm. seen. Um, can create uh, telepathic illusions, make someone appear to be someone they're not from yeah. tricking someone's mind. Psionic shielding to protect people from other telepathic attacks and a limited amount of mind control as well. Uh, mm. Although that's uh, people do describe it after they've been in mind control as. Um, they can taste dog biscuits after he's finished with them. Because um, that's what he's thinking about all the time. Because uh, he's a dog. Proving <laughs> himself to be really valuable to, 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 to the station um, and the council. That's where the council make Nowhere... Uh, sorry, make make Cosmo the, the chief of security for, for Nowhere. When we first meet him, he's having these adventures with Nova uh, and protecting Nowhere from these various attacks that, that come. Mm. No, nowhere becomes Nova's base of operations. Right. Um, at one point, the space station comes under such a huge threat that Cosmo uh, has to protect everybody by downloading all the living creatures onto a powerful crystalline hard drive storage device that he wears around his neck. So that once wow. the danger is past, he can re-emerge them into the universe, um, <laughs> because he's a very, very good boy. Um, boy. When the Guardians of the Galaxy first form, Nova, who is um, Peter Quill's old soldier buddy from the trenches of the Annihilation War, says, "Oh, I know a place where you c- you guys can base your team. It's called Nowhere. You should go and check it out." And so Cosmo takes the Guardians in and allows them to use Nowhere as their base of operations. Mm. And they've got a very, very highly sophisticated teleportation um, 
system that means they can essentially teleport the Guardians anywhere in the universe. Yeah. So they don't have a ship really. Um, in in uh, they get one eventually, but they're in in the kind of the Abner and Lanning run that inspires the movies. It's teleportation rather than ship travel. Mm, absolutely. Um, and you know, over the over that the, the stories of the Guardians, no, um, Cosmo becomes more and more involved in the team's missions and kind of becomes i don't know if he's ever an official member but mm. he's he's very much a part of the stories yeah and he ends up playing a very key role in the last mission of the guardians of the galaxy becomes a true believer Ooh. in star lord's dream and star lord's mission to save the universe that's the thanos imperative um, and that story is up there. It was our December bonus episode on Patreon. If you sign up, you get every single bonus episode, not just this month's, every other month that came before it as well. Uh, Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Cool. Back to the story. Seeing how sad Peter is now that Gamora is gone, Mantis convinces Drax that they need to do something special for Christmas to cheer up Peter. Mantis especially wants to reach out to Peter as she is secretly his sister, having also been sired by the cosmic being Ego. Mantis has kept this secret from Quill, fearing he wouldn't want to be reminded of his monstrous father every day. So Mantis being related to Quill is a brand new piece of information we've never had before in the MCU. So are these characters related in the Marvel comics? No, no. no. Um, Mantis <laughs> no. is not related to Star Lord or Ego in the comics. Look, it's pretty simple. Uh, pretty simple, guys. It's pretty. Mantis is pretty simple. Uh, Mantis is a Vietnamese sex worker who starts <laughs> shagging a supervillain called the Swordsman, and then just becomes a member of the Avengers, even though she's got no powers. Um, and then she tries to have an affair with the Vision. And also possibly a foursome with the Swordsman Division and Wanda. And then it turns out she's a secret love child of a supervillain called Libra. Mm. And that a secret sect of alien cream monks believe Mantis to be the Celestial Donna. Essentially, the Virgin Mary that's going to destined to give birth to a cosmic baby Jesus. So, the cream monks trained uh, Mantis to have psychic powers. It's very simple, guys. Um, (laughs) But then when she turned 18, the monks wipe her memory and send her off to live in the slums and become a sex worker for reasons they never give. Um, And then, it's dead simple, Kang the Conqueror turns up wanting to kill her, Terminator style, so he can prevent cosmic baby Jesus from ever happening, okay? It's pretty basic. The swordsman saves Mantis's life from Kang, but dies in the process, and then after he's dead and buried... A race of alien plant creatures called the Katati grow themselves inside the swordsman's dead body and reanimate him. It's pretty basic stuff here, guys. And Mantis marries the vegetable zombie man in a double wedding with the vision and wonder. The most godless union ever. (laughs) And then she shags uh, the zombie swordsman vegetable guy and gives birth to alien vegetable Jesus, who is destined to save all our souls it's pretty simple it's pretty simple not related to star lord dead dead simple i hope everybody caught up with that because it really is incredibly simple (laughs) (laughs) and then she goes on to the guardians of the galaxy and none of that is ever mentioned ever again it's not retconned is it it's just conveniently never mentioned she i think has the ability to send her consciousness into other plant and vegetable bodies okay and she just turns up during annihilation conquest 
and no one mentions the Katati, the swordsman, the celestial Madonna stuff, being Vietnamese, being from Earth, none of it. So, yeah. Wow. Back to the story. Remembering how Quill keeps talking about a legendary hero who has saved countless lives, Drax says the perfect Christmas present for Star-Lord would be the Earth-based actor, Kevin Bacon. Here we go, baby. Here we go. (laughs) With no time to lose, Mantis and Drax take Star-Lord's ship all the way to Los Angeles, looking for Kevin Bacon's home and scaring the locals with their presence as they forgot to activate the ship's cloaking device. This is where this special really comes alive and is just wonderful. The two of them together in this are fantastic really fantastic it's great pairing and i really enjoyed it and and she looked like the the actor playing mantis is able to like mm. have more range in this she gets <laughs> to show a different emotion which is kind of generally like yelling at her idiot brother drax which is really fun yeah i mentioned this late i i, I was going to mention it later on in the episode but yes yeah, she they're, 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 she does this almost cartoony yelling voice, oh, and she's I loved it. superb that's, really that's superb proper and comedy chops to do that the great like brother sister dynamic comes yeah. out in this and like the that thing you mentioned earlier in, in the hollywood section um like mm. it's like abbott and costello but they're both because they're both the idiots <laughs> it's so good they're both idiots okay the two immediately encounter sorry after landing next to the hollywood sign the two explore tinseltown in order to find kevin bacon they immediately encounter Hollywood cosplayers, busk, cosplaying buskers, and mistake them for real people. Mantis sees a Captain America cosplayer and yells, Steve! and chases after him for a hug. Drax becomes violent after seeing a cosplayer dressing, dressed up as a transforming robot car. Mantis holds Drax back and yells, GoBots killed his cousin! I, that killed me. <laughs> that absolutely <laughs> killed me. <laughs> that was just... <laughs> It's just so funny. I just like when it cuts back and he's punching the guy in the face on the floor. So good. I mean, th- th- this reminded me a little bit of um, Star Trek for the Voyage Home. Yes. Oh God. That's, You've got these yeah. kind of a- alien creatures, kind of modern Earth society, not knowing what's going on and getting everything wrong. There's a yeah. there's a scene Classic in that movie. There's a scene film. in that movie where. Um, Gosh, is it Scotty? I think it's Scotty. They've got to work something out, and they go to. They've got. He's trying to use a a twentieth century computer. Yes, and yes. he talks to the computer. Computer, bring me up all the files. Is, is he the talking to the mouse? Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. I think so. Sorry, sorry. I, I was like, I was doing a whole story that had the nice punchline built in, and then okay. in you come. Go on, carry, carry on. He's carry like, on. no, no, how carry? You've just given the punchline away. How can I carry on? Oh. Back to the story, Will. <laughs> it's a good film, Rob. It's a very good film. Yeah, it's got some great jokes in it, if you it's, if you it, can get to him. It's just one of the best uh, Star Trek Will will films. crash in through your living room window and just yell the punchlines at you, though. That's the problem. And he does this and then... Ah! Uh, so, so the, there's not a lot of Marvel trivia for get, to us to get our teeth into, because this isn't uh, particularly long. So... What the hell, Rob? What can you tell us about the GoBots? <laughs> right, let's learn all about the GoBots, shall we? Let's talk about uh, GoBots, baby. The GoBots, a uh, line of transforming robot toys produced by Tonka Toys in the 1980s, based on a line of 
transforming mecha figures from mm. Japan. There's millions of transforming mecha uh, toy lines in Japan, and Transformers because wow. Transformers is made up of like a dozen or twenty five different toys, like yes. different toy companies. Mm. Like the Transformers guys, like have just go and buy all these different rights so they can keep the Transformers getting bigger and bigger. GoBots is just one of those many transforming mecha lines that Transformers didn't get the rights to. They actually predate Transformers in in the US and and nice. Europe. Uh, so 1983 Tonka Toys repackaged the the Japanese transforming toys and came up with like new names and characters and backstories um for them. Uh and since human piloted mecha wasn't really a thing in the west and still really isn't. Um certainly not the way it is in Japan. Tonka mm. makes the GoBots into their own like sentient robots with mm. no human pilots involved. Um and which is exactly what Transformers would do the year later. Um, so it's like two opposing forces of transforming robots, the good guys. They come from the planet. What planet do you think they come from? Is it Gobotia? Gobotron. Oh, there we go. It's so close, Gobotia. Gobotia would have been better. Gobotia sounds like a, a nation on Gobotron. Gobotia. Um, the, the, there are humans on not humans but like human humanoid beings and I think they're called go guys <laughs> I see a pattern they're emerging um, so there's the heroic guardians and the evil renegades yeah. the guardians are led by okay I'll do the the, the renegades are led by Psykill which is a really good villain name I like Psykill that sounds like the bad guy from a fairly unknown PS1 game. Sure, but it's a pretty good guy, right? Yeah. The leader of the Guardians, can you guess his deeply un... Like, the most unimaginative name for the leader of the Guardians? Uh, Protagobot. Um, it's so close. <laughs> Protagobot. It's leader number one. No! <laughs> Leader dash one. That is. I'll tell you. That's the second. That's the the, the second worst uh, hero name I've ever heard. Outside of this was uh, from the novel Snow Crash, where the lead character is is called Hero Protagonist. <laughs> what you? What is that? A game or something? No, no. It's a 1991 uh, science fiction cyberpunk book. Uh, and his Crash. name is Hero Protagonist. It's a fantastic. Is it a book. joke? It's it's kind of a meta joke because okay, the narration well, is quite not, jokey as well. Well, then that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Like this was a serious thing that it, men oh, in a room, <laughs> men in a room decided was good. <laughs> like they were like, yeah, no, we nailed it. Leader one, let's go home early, guys. There, drinks are on me down at the bar. I just came up with leader dash one. This is the only time in human history where the main character could be improved if they just changed his name to Colin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in nineteen, it wasn't just toys. In nineteen eighty four, Hanna Barbera produced a cartoon series called Challenge of the GoBots to promote the toy line. Ooh. Now that's the only way you could sell toys in the eighties yep. yep. um, and a little bit in the nineties as well. Um, and it ran for 65 episodes. Um, mm. That being said, at the time, these were put out every single day. Same as like the He-Man episodes. You'd have one episode out every single day for the kids. The same year, a series of children's picture books were released where the GoBots were illustrated by Spider-Man co-creator Steve Ditko. 
Um, lovely bit of Marvel tie-in there. So you can get your hands on Challenge of the GoBots um, children's books with Steve Ditko illustrations. Um, initial sales of the GoBots were really strong, but then Transformers arrived a year after. Um, uh, they appeared on shelves in 1984, and then their cartoon came about, which was like a different world to a Hanna-Barbera kind of jokey one. And it was a massive smash hit. So despite the like very similar concepts, Transformer toys were bigger, they were bolder, they looked cooler, they transformed way better. Oh, um, I'd have to see that. What do you mean? I, I, I want to see the transformations if they transform way better. Because like, I, I, I was already sold with Transformers transformations back in the day. No, no, no. I think I'm talking about Transformers. Transformer also. toys were bigger and bolder and transformed way better My than bad. the GoBots. My bad. That's the second guff of this show. <laughs> uh, and that immediately made the GoBots look like some sort of cheap knockoff of... And I, uh, you know, for a long time, I assumed they were. I had no idea. yeah. yeah. Um, it looks like they were like this this cheaper thing that your mm. your cousin who didn't really know you got you that your auntie your auntie Patricia <laughs> oh he likes those transforming robots oh she got me GoBots god damn it um, a GoBots video game uh, was released in 1986 uh, Commodore 64 the Amstrad CPC and the Sinclair ZX Spectrum the best oh, um, but by the following year the battle had well and truly been won by Transformers, uh, and GoBots just stopped releasing new toys. So whatever stock was around was going, but that was that. And then 1991, Hasbro, the owners of Transformers, purchased and acquired the GoBots range from Tonka Toys, and that was very much it. In in all the kind of subsequent years after that, like we said, GoBots have become this running joke in geek culture. Well, there was a um, joke in uh, Clerks 2. I always remember Clerks 2, the reference to GoBots in that. Which is... Well, basically, uh, the lame person working at the, te- the the burger place with them is like a really big GoBots fan, but then uh, their fr- their successful friend comes in and takes a sign and goes, they're like the they're like the Kmart Transformers, I think the line is. He stands up yeah. for them. Yeah, it the, the, the kind of the geek culture running joke is patterned around something like you know my childhood was rough. I wanted Transformers, but all I got was GoBots. Yeah, like it's that kind of the thing. Um, like it was, it was very heavily a part of Wizard Magazine, the comic book magazine, and Twisted Toy Fair Theater, the mm. sister magazine, which ended up becoming essentially robot chicken so you'll see a lot of those kind of jokes in family guy robot chicken yeah um yeah. and kevin smith was always uh, in the wizard magazine so i can see it cropping up in clerks too as well um in the uk and europe we did not have GoBots. no we the, the same toys were over here from like a different arm of the original japanese company i think bandai had the european distribution and they yeah. were called robo machine um That's and cool. They yeah, so they didn't they couldn't they did we did not have such cool names for the characters as Leader One. <laughs> um <laughs> they had like different, you know, different names and stuff. And we also had a our own comic book strip appearing in the classic comic book Eagle. Um and the Eagle comic book strip had its own uh, intricate continuity with the robots crash landing in England and the action taking place in East Anglia and Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> did you um did you ever come across 
robo machines when you were a kid? You, nope. you probably wouldn't have done. You, Transformers, trans- I imagine, of course you had. It was Transformers or GTFO. <laughs> I think by the I'm just thinking you're a few you're a handful of years younger than me. Yeah. Um and by the time I think you would have aged into this sort of stuff, I think although they did have Robo Machine did have a revival in the early 90s that I really remember. Um mm. but yeah, it would you could well have missed missed some of this. Um yeah. and I I remember the cartoons the cartoon series which had to be called something like Robo Machines Presents Challenge of the Gobots because <laughs> oh, it was very peculiar. Oh no. Um, but yeah, the cartoons were pretty weren't very good. Yeah. Um they didn't have a comic book. Well, we did have a comic book, yeah, but the Gobots, yeah, not really a thing. Yeah. So there we go. That's, that's, there we that's go. That we, we didn't expect that, did you? You came here wanting. Oh, I wonder what they're going to tell us about the MCU and all the things. And went no, sod Gobots, you. Talk about Gobots toys from the eighties. We're going to go on one of these tangents. You thought my tangents about video games were bad, people. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, back to the film. Sorry, the, the holiday special. Later that evening, their search brings Mantis and Drax to a bar where they decide to get a few rounds in before dancing with the locals. While recovering outside afterwards, Mantis convinces a Hollywood tour guide to give her a map to Kevin Bacon's house. Finding the legendary actor's house, the two continuously ring Kevin Bacon's doorbell until Drax smashes through the front door, frightening Kevin, who calls the police while running away through his house and down the street before the police arrive. So funny. The whole of this was so funny. It was so good. Uh, The next bit really made me giggle. You'll see which bit. The police order Mantis and Drax to stand down before opening fire on Drax, which only seems to tickle him. Mantis jumps in and takes down the officers before convincing Kevin Bacon to come with them. The uh, the, the bit where he's being shot and he goes, stop it, you're going to make me pee myself. I, I like the owl. The bit where Mantis goes to check on the police and the upturned police car. Yeah. And like, they're really scared. She hands them the candy cane and everything. And then they argue right after that. Yeah. Like Mantis and Drax are just brilliant as for me. It's brilliant. Uh, just a few things. Uh, Flula Borg pops up playing the barman. Uh, he previously had, had a bit role in James Gunn's Suicide Squad film. If you, uh, yeah, wasn't he Javelin? I think he was Javelin, yeah. Because Javelin part- is meant to be German in the comics. Yeah. And fl- <laughs> who's more German than Flula Borg? Lovely fella. Uh, also, the film Kevin Bacon is watching is Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. I couldn't believe that was... I was like, what? That must be a real movie. That is a real like, movie. And then I was like, why would they pay for uh, something so... It's because it's, it's public domain. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bizarre yeah. old 70s Christmas special about Father Christmas... Uh, sorry, Santa Claus and Martians. Yeah, it's it's something that happens. I can't explain it. Which you know, future generations will say the same about this. <laughs> yeah, well, it's part of a larger franchise, so it's like the small fry in in, in a group of big burly men. So it, it's it's defended well, basically. Also, big props to Kevin Bacon for being a really good sport about this because it's really weird for people to play themselves in a film or something. I think, I find. Yeah, but they're not really. There's nothing in this like. I thought there would be some shots, a few shots at him in this, but there's, yeah. there aren't any. Like, yeah, there's nothing about his career or him being a bit of a, you know, he'll do anything for money. There's none of that. It's just a very basic, he's a star, and then he goes to space and he comes back. 
Yeah. Like, so they're not taking any shots at him. But I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know what you mean. It's like, so, so what I... The ultimate of that is mm-hmm. the incredible um, comedy series The Trip with Steve Coogan... Yes. Um, and the Welsh... Rob Brydon playing themselves. And Steve Coogan, who wrote it, has written himself scenes where he talks about how... Basically, he portrays himself the way that we, the the British public, view Steve Coogan, the actor. Self-important, pompous, um, self-interested, vain, an arsehole. It's so... That is a man with no ego. Um, Or a massive ego. It's one of the other. massive (laughs) ego and equal amount of self-awareness. Incredible to have... yeah. Yeah. I, I tried watching that and it was good, but it did feel like a podcast. No, it's 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 a it's a truly truly special shit series. It really is. Okay, I'll, I'll give it another go at some point. Another, I don't know if it it probably isn't similar, but another show people keep telling me to watch is Fishing with uh, Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse. That's fun, but that's not a written scripted yeah, show. Totally different thing. Anyway, very so, enjoyable though. Very enjoyable. Uh, I bet I, I listened to Bob Mortimer's podcast, Athletico Mints, and I never not laugh out loud at it. He's a gorgeously talented comedy performer. If you don't know him, check him out. He's amazing. Anyway, there is not a lot of Marvel history to delve into here. We seem to be going off in all places. So uh, I'll tell you what, Rob, what can you tell us about the actor, Kevin Bacon? <laughs> hey, first uh, crops up. Is makes his movie debut, nineteen seventy eight, in the gross out frat comedy National Lampoons Animal House. Have you seen that movie? I have seen Animal House. Yes, it's a good film. Yeah, it's okay. It's very dated. Oh, it's very um, dated, and the director's a horrible person. But yeah, it's 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 a bit of fun. It, I can see every yeah, everything made a made couple of, of people it. with a movie, and suddenly uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> he also plays a small role in um, the slasher movie Friday the 13th yes, um, but he really kind of first got people's attention in Barry Levinson's critically acclaimed comedy drama uh, Diner um, which mm. I really recommend um, and that led to Kevin Bacon being offered some more serious roles um, and kind of bolstered by that attention um, in 1984 he has the starring role in this coming of age drama that's very famous called Footloose um, mm. A movie about, and I'm not making this up, a town where the local sheriff has banned dancing. <laughs> and I <laughs> I know that sounds like the plot of a terrible fake movie from 30 Rock, but it's not. It's the real, actual plot of a major movie that cost $8 million to make. Um, and the film is legitimately about Kevin Bacon defying an evil sheriff by dancing. Um, (laughs) And you might think, what a stupid story idea some idiot made up. But no, it's based on real American events. No! Footloose is based on the town of Elmore City in Oklahoma, a town which has banned dancing because it led to promiscuity. Um... That's quite so, ironic, considering one of the go. biggest American musicals is Oklahoma, which, of course, features a lot of dancing. There we go. We are not allowed to dance in public. Um, yeah. Footloose was a, 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 it was a it was a big hit. I think it took in, from 8 million, it took in 80 or 90 million. But That's good. But it didn't really turn Kevin Bacon into a leading man star. 
Hmm. Um, he fronted a few notable flops after that. Um, that didn't recoup their budgets, as well as appearing in some like quite small, low budget kind of comedies and stuff. Hmm. Um, but he, Kevin Bacon, is this seems to be this actor who wants to work all the time and appears in an incredible amount of movies, not seeming to care whether these movies are good. Or very, very bad. Um, the, He's basically the, like uh, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> well, this, I think this, I think that's very different. So Nicolas okay, okay. Cage had this almost impeccable career mm. of picking even the money-making blockbuster Hollywood movies he did after leaving Las Vegas, after yeah. Honeymoon Vegas, after, um, you know, the, these impeccable movies. Even the, the money-making ones he picked were interesting kind of movies, like The Rock, like Con Air, um, which is just, like, he, he, had a, he had a knack for picking over-the-top movies that were going to be kind of fun. And then I think there's some sort of tax situation. I think it's a Wesley Snipes deal where mm. the government says, we're now going to garnish your salary and don't say... Don't say it. Don't say garnish my salary. Um, they're going to garnish uh, his salary, uh, and so he suddenly has to make loads yeah. of movies to get his old salary back. I think that's what happened to Nicolas Cage. Anyway, 90s is the decade of, of, of Kevin Bacon, really. Um, mm. He appears in, in a huge amount. Like, like, in 1990 alone, he does Tremors and Flatliners, which that's enough to cement you as a cult hero. I mean... I only got around to watching Tremors, I think, last year, and it's one of those films that I like to use the phrase, far better than it has any right to be. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So good. And Flatliners was very of its time within Mm. an it cast. And then he has this, like, spate of memorable roles in major 90s movies. Yeah. JFK, A Few Good Men, Apollo 13, Sleepers... Mm and wild things um and these movies kind of really establish him as an actor with with this kind of i guess i don't know if cult appeal is right but it, 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 for kids of the 80s and 90s kevin bacon is a big name because of those movies um and he's in a series of bad movies as well throughout the 90s um and he's so famous and prolific a parlor game springs up based around him um, based around how he's in so many movies. It's called Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, or yes. simply Kevin Bacon. Um, it's a game where players challenge each other to choose an actor that connects... and see. Right, so if me and Will are playing the game, Will mm. would pick an actor, let's say Robert De Niro, mm. and the game is I have to try and connect Robert De Niro to Kevin Bacon... Through people that have, so so Robert De Niro appeared in this movie with this actor, who appeared in this movie with that actor, who then mm. appeared in this movie with Kevin Bacon. You're trying to get to Kevin Bacon in six moves. Um, so, <laughs> uh, it, an interview in oh. Premiere magazine in 1994. Um, Kevin Bacon mentioned that he uh, had worked with everybody in Hollywood or someone who's worked with them. That's the mm. quote. And following this, a lengthy news group thread um, was headed, Kevin Bacon is the centre of the universe, appeared. News groups were a form of the internet before social media. Before mm. Facebook and Twitter, there were news groups, message boards mainly. Um, 
1994, three Albright College students, Craig Fass, Brian Turtle, and Mike uh, Grinelli, invented the game that became known as Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, based on this news group um, heading Kevin Bacon as the center of the universe. Um, and so they, one night they saw two movies on television that featured Kevin Bacon back-to-back, Footloose, and then a terrible comedy called The Air up there. Um, mm. And so they, they began to speculate how many movies he'd been on, and they invented this game um and uh and there we go that's uh i think that's kevin bacon uh just deployed and explored it, it, yeah we, we with nothing else to tell you about kevin bacon apart from his integral connection to everyone in the known universe uh so when uh mantis gets the map and they're trying to find kevin bacon you see a nice little little map little screen of a map and seeing them seeing what route they take to go to kevin bacon's house we see other uh stars on this map and they are john cena arnold schwarzenegger uh, margot robbie and queen latifah so with uh, the explanation of kevin bacon out of the way why don't and because it's a holiday episode holiday episode yeah holiday. let's play rob a few rounds of kevin bacon okay let's do it okay rob can you connect? I think it's best if you do this because I don't want to play this game because I I am not good enough. But I I want to. Well, see I did it. You. I've done it. I did it in advance. You did it. Okay. I've done it in advance. I trust you. I trust. But even if it wasn't in advance, I I reckon you're the kind of person I could just run up to you and go, "How does this actor relate to Kevin Bacon?" And you could do it. If, if there if there is so, if they're kind of older actors, yeah, probably can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I must admit, Margot Robbie was a. Bit of, was a bit of a struggle. That's the one that really threw me when I looked at this. But uh, can you? Okay, first of all, can you connect John Cena to Kevin Bacon? Yeah. So John Cena is mm. the third dad in Daddy's Home Two. Yes. He is. And also starring in that movie is John Lithgow, who of course John is in Lithgow, <laughs> which, who of course is in Footloose. So that one's that one's the nice a nice oh, that's, a nice that's the, that's the a nice easy one. John Cena, I couldn't believe her. Sorry, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Next, can you connect Arnold Schwarzenegger with Kevin Bacon? So there's two of these which are easy because Kevin Bacon is in the movie JFK with nine million people. So yeah, that's really easy. Uh, Arnie's, do you remember the Arnie clone movie where there's two Arnies? The Sixth Day. Sixth, sixth Day. I'm your clone. <laughs> In that movie is the legendary Michael Rooker, who we see in Yano. Um, Michael Rooker, I'm not going to use this this that he's in here, uh, but Michael Rooker is in JFK he with is. Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Uh, JFK, one of my favourite movies. It's, it's a great film. It's yeah. one of Oliver Stone's best. Um, next up, can you connect Margot Robbie to Kevin Bacon? This was the hardest for me. Margot Robbie here was really, really tricky. Um and it's because I just kind of forgot who she was and what she'd been in. And then I remembered she's in Suicide Squad mm-hmm. yep. with Michael Rooker. Michael, so Michael it's JFK Rooker, yeah. again. <laughs> I don't know if that counts. I don't know if you can use the same movie twice, but that's that's what I got. Well, I've ne- I don't think someone's thought far enough advance of can you do combo rules or same space <laughs> twice on Kevin Bacon. So if someone out there knows the advanced rules of Kevin Bacon, wants to get write in, in please let's get in touch. Let us <laughs> Marvel know. Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. Who knows? Maybe we'll run out of ideas this podcast and insert it into every episode somehow. <laughs> 
Finally, Rob, can you connect Queen Latifah to Kevin Bacon? Well, this is the shortest one. Really? Yes. Queen Lat- so there's Barbershop 1. Yes. And then there's Barbershop 2, starring mm. Queen Latifah. And then Queen Latifah gets a Barbershop spin-off movie, Barbershop oh. for the Ladies, called The Beauty Shop, starring Queen Latifah and Kevin Bacon. So that was uh, nice and simple. There we go. <laughs> Do you, reckon some, together. do you reckon someone's done a website like not with an AI but with some kind of you know advanced thing where you just enter an actor's name and it tells it it, it maps out the connection to Kevin Bacon because that would that would be such a good website. You'd have to program. Yeah. What would you have to program? Every actor who's in every movie ever made. You'd basically have to pull down all the IMDb data into into its own database and then find a way of uh, <laughs> interacting with the data. I let's, let's start a GoFundMe. Let's make it happen. Let's make let's, it happen. Let's make turn it into an app. Let's, let's let, in fact even better. Let's just take all the fun out of the Kevin Bacon <laughs> game by getting a computer to do it for us. Anyway, that's Kevin Bacon. He'll pop up in the film. Let's get back to it. With a spaceship full of Christmas paraphernalia, as well as a more compliant Kevin Bacon, Drax and Mantis are horrified, repulsed even, to find out that the legendary hero that Peter Quill claimed (laughs) saved a town by dancing and defeated an evil masked killer is nothing more than an actor. I hate you, Kevin Bacon. I hate hate actors. Actors are disgusting. I hate (laughs) you. I mean... (laughs) There was there was some good there was so many good little bits like tell us about the time you served a small town by dancing like an idiot. And then, so does that, good. Does that, then the, the last bit of Kevin Bacon is going. You know, I think we can really make this the best Christmas ever. And the last shot of that scene is Drax looking at him, going, "We hate you." <laughs> <laughs> it's just perfect. Anyway. Back at nowhere, a sad Peter Quill perks up when he hears Christmas music playing. Outside, the rest of the Guardians light up a breathtaking array of Christmas decorations, much to the overwhelming surprise of Peter. In front of everyone, Groot wheels out a large human-sized box for (coughs) Peter. Hearing a voice pleading for help inside, Peter opens up the box and is shocked to see Kevin Bacon. Peter yells at the rest of the Guardians for kidnapping another human being. Seeing, also, seeing yeah. um, Star-Lord's... Chris, Chris, what's his name? Who's the actor? Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt's face. Like, when all the lights come up... Yeah. His his genuine look of, like, big, wide-eyed wonder. And, yeah. and, and that was that was a really... That really sold it. And then see his face go from that to... <laughs> He can see the boxes moving, <laughs> like it that, was just a lovely bit of lovely bit of comedy. That's that's like James Gunn's. Like, okay, here's a nice emotional, heartwarming bit, but he's got to put the joke in at just the right time. Yeah, because all these people and, are idiots. Yeah, it's perfect. Also, I uh, a Smashing Pumpkins Christmas song is the last thing I ever expected to hear. I'm a massive Pumpkins fan, so Good it was man. kind of like this movie had like uh, two of my favorite Christmas songs in it, which is really. Cool. I was just. Holding out for the, the 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 Bob Dylan one that would have been perfect. Oh, which one's a Bob Dylan one? Because didn't he do an entire album of Christmas? Yeah, songs or something? But it's yeah. Uh, sad is coming. Sad. It's really fast, rocky. It's really fun. Cool. Realizing that Mantis used her powers to convince the actor to come along with them, 
Peter demands her to break the trance, but after breaking free, Kevin demands to be returned home immediately. However, talking with Craglin about Peter's love of Kevin Bacon's movies to the point they inspired him to become a true hero, Kevin delays his holiday plans back on Earth to give Peter an unforgettable Christmas. To just step in there, mm. that moment's really nice. Very nice moment, yeah. And it's something I think... Um, the sentiment is something mm. I think we carry with us. Go back to our... I think it was Amazing Spider-Man... Um, no, Spider-Man 2 episode. Yeah. I think we talked about the young serving um, Vietnam... The guy that served in Vietnam. Yeah. And, and he passed away and he wrote these letters to the Spider-Man comics to say how awesome it was to get to read these comics while they're serving and everything. Like, and... Uh, there's, there's something Marvel movies come under a huge amount of criticism online right now and a lot of vitriol um, and a lot of people will tell you that comic books are pointless and worthless and these movies are pointless and worthless and the sentiment here is that sometimes these movies and these things can mean the world to somebody and can transport them and, and take them away and they can kind of you know mean a huge amount and and i kind of think that's an important sentiment um and it's certainly i think the backbone of what we do that these we want to treat things as being kind of you know we're a bit a bit, little bit of reverence and, and the reason we want to do a deep dive and dig into why these things are good is because they mean mm. the world to some people don't they and they, sometimes yeah, they can mean the world to you mm. so all of the guardians get a christmas present Quill gives Groot his old Game Boy. Nebula gives Rocket the Winter Soldier Cyborg Arm. Cosmo gives Kraglin a dead alien rat. Mantis gives Drax the inflatable little elf man from Kevin Bacon's <laughs> front yard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Groot gives everyone amazing model dioramas of each of them based on the scene from this holiday special. Kraglin's is a model of him opening a model of him opening a model of him <laughs> opening a model, etc. I like. I, I have. A, I've had a thing recently. You know, you get uh, the reels on Facebook and everything. You get little short videos. Yeah. They've been doing so many Game Boy ones for me for some reason, and I'm there going. I've got like a gaming PC and a Steam Deck. You know, I'm really tooled up for gaming, but I keep going. Oh, wasn't the Game Boy such a wonderful thing? <laughs> such a simple, right? wonderful. I, yeah. I still think it's a great little thing, but. It always, always warms my heart whenever I see one, even even the old classic ones. Well, it's tucking on your nostalgia strings, really. Uh, it, it, that, it is. And, and there's something about that clean design, <sighs> that it's, chunky, clean design from many, many decades ago when we were kids. That's what it, it's about. It is. I, I did a bit of a personal deep dive in it, and at around the same time there were other similar consoles that were like full colour and everything that didn't do as well. But the Game Boy was just like this black and white dot matrix stream screen. But it did well because it had a longer battery life and it was simpler to play for everybody. And it's like, yeah, there we go. Nintendo Nintendo doing the thing of if we make the game simpler and more fun, doesn't matter about graphics. Sure, yeah, people yeah. will buy it. And it's like, great. Anyway, that was my tangent. After the celebration, Quill reveals to Mantis that Yondu eventually changed his mind about Christmas and gifted him a pair of blasters which now serve as his primary weapons. Mantis confides in him that she is Quill's half-sister after years of refusing to turn the truth out of fear of reminding him of his father Ego's misdeeds to Quill's surprise and elation. So, is there anything special about Star-Lord's blasters in the Marvel comics? 
No, uh, oh, um... Okay, so to begin with, not really. They're just uh, twin pistols, but they are, they are, they're mm. called elemental guns. Okay. They are capable of projecting uh, ice, fire, w- w- water, I guess, wind, even lightning, you know, the other element, lightning. Um, and they're kind of rechargeable and voice-activated. There's something somewhere about them drawing elements from, like, another world or dimension or something. Mm. Um, they first appeared with him way back in the 70s when he got his, like, couple of appearances as a weird swashbuckling romantic space hero. Yeah. But they're not... They're just guns. Like, for the for the the, the, the classic Abnett Lanning run of the character for uh, the Annihilation Wars and then the Guardians of the Galaxy, they're just guns. And then the characters are put to bed, as we detail in the Thanos imperative, mm. and then the movie comes out and it's a really big hit. And Marvel go, oh no, we've retired these characters. They're no longer the Guardians of the Galaxy. Crap. I, I was having this conversation the other night about it, and they were like, oh, I explained the whole thing. And it was like, what? They were supposed to end, but then they brought them back. What? Yeah. So yeah. they bring in famous writer Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. Um, Bendy Bendis. Yeah, that's, how, that's what he's known as. And they bring the characters back. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of the post-return Guardians. There becomes an awful lot of, let's change things and make people... Like, they feel like they have to... So, that's when suddenly we get... Peter Quill's dad is the king or the emperor of the Spartak space empire. And they change his history, and they do all this kind of stuff, and they try to make the character more mythic and more powerful and stuff. Um, And in that kind of new origin, I believe the elemental guns are left behind by that version of his father that he finds and stuff. Um, Mm. Yeah, it's... There's not... uh, I think now they are powered by the Greek gods somehow. Like, they... The Guardians are fighting the Olympian, the like the Olympian path, path, pantheon of, of gods, Zeus and uh, Athena mm. and those lot, and and Quill's guns lose the connection to their energy source, and it just ticks and ticks and ticks and ticks and searches for another connection and finds whatever powers the gods, <laughs> and <laughs> I think it, I, I, I don't quite know, it's a little confusing, um, they didn't used to be very special, and then they tried to make them a bit special, and yeah, I don't really know, it's a bit odd, yeah, the whole thing, once they, once they bring them back, the whole thing's a little bit weird. There we go, Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special, uh, brought to you in this very peculiar holiday episode. We hope you've enjoyed it and our big deep, deep dive. Will, I'd love to get your final thoughts on the movie. Oh, my final thoughts. Well, as as we said when I first saw this announced, I made my mind up that I would skip it. I don't usually go for Christmas specials outside of sitcoms and comedy shows, but the trailer won me over immediately. You knew you knew Marvel with Disney Plus allowing them to produce more and more content. You knew they would try to get a Christmas special at some point. It was inevitable. 
and I thought it wouldn't work, but it just worked. It was far better than it had any right to be, which is a phrase I never use lightly. Incredibly funny, with a sweet ending, doesn't overstay its welcome. It's a perfect quick watch over the holidays. I think you're right. I think you're right. It was a lot of tremendous fun. Our next mm. episode, Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. Oh, reading list. Uh, check out Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, uh, <laughs> written by the lads that came up with the game. Uh, it's a bit of a fun read. Um, also, don't forget to check out The Challenge of the GoBots, which I think you can find on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, next episode, Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. For cool bonus content, head over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Happy New Year. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written, and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston, and our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel for awesome bonus content. Marvel vs. Marvel